Uh, A reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stories to raise up the children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages, as the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming the strap of the of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to be clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the shaft he will burn with the unquenchable fire. So with many other ex- exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why don't we bring my water up? Also a glass of water in here. Thanks. Um, let us pray. Um, Almighty Father, I pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Thank you. Well, there is a a statement that people sometimes make, a a message that is delivered, um, that often creates a dichotomy of emotional reactions. It's either very, very good news or it's very bad news. Uh, And the message is this. I'm coming for a visit. <laughs> I'm coming to see you. Uh, you know, when I people ask me about my weekend and I say that my mother-in-law is coming in town, I have to explain that that is actually really good news. Because uh, my mother-in-law is fun and relational and encouraging and she takes my wife shopping and they have a good time and she babysits for a couple of nights. So when I hear that my mother-in-law is coming for a visit, I am excited. I know someone else, when they hear that their mother-in-law is coming, they literally have to take Benadryl because their mother-in-law is so critical and manipulative that they are so stressed out that they start to break out in a rash. And so they take Benadryl because the message that I'm coming for a visit uh, creates such anxiety for them. This time of year, if you dial in to 96.5, you're likely to hear the song, Here Comes Santa Claus, or Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and this is a message that for most kids, you know, they, they respond to with glee. So it means Christmas morning, and it means presents. Not so with my shrewd five-year-old uh, niece, Chloe. She says she does not want Santa Claus to come to her house. Uh, there's something about an old man with a beard breaking into her house in the middle of the night that, for whatever reason, creates a little bit of skepticism and trepidation. <laughs> Go figure, right? Uh, some of you may have seen the movie uh, Taken. Uh, where Liam Nielsen, his daughter, is kidnapped by a, a band of human traffickers from Albania. And uh, he gets one conversation with his daughter, and he says, I'm coming for you. And, you know, for his daughter, 
this elicits feelings of hope. For the uh, kidnappers, it creates fear because he's an ex-CIA operative who knows how to take them down. Uh, you yourself can probably identify a person who, if they were to say to you, I'm coming for a visit, you're either going to be filled with joy or you're going to be filled with dread. <laughs> could be an estranged parent or an estranged child, and, and them coming for a visit means reunion. could be a, a guy or a girl that you've had a crush on for a long time, and they say, hey, I want to come over and see you, and, and nothing can make you happier. Or it could be your boss who's extremely critical and lets you know all the time how you don't measure up. And when you hear that he wants to come to your office, you're nervous. Or could be the IRS. And there's a great fear of exposure if they say that they're going to come to your office for a little visit. Well, uh, the book of Zephaniah, the central theme is the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord effectively means that God is coming for a visit. God is coming to the earth to see you. And there is a similar dichotomy of responses and reactions for the day of the Lord. And uh, we see that for some, the day of the Lord is the absolute worst thing that could ever happen. And for others, it is the fulfillment and the satisfaction of their wildest dreams. And so tonight we're going to look at the what and the who and the why of the day of the Lord as we see it in Zephaniah chapter 3. Now, if you are not particularly familiar with Zephaniah, that's not utterly surprising. Some people say that Zephaniah is the least read book of the entire Bible. I kind of doubt that there are more people reading Obadiah and uh, Nahum than Zephaniah, but the point being made, if you have never heard of Zephaniah, uh, don't don't feel ashamed because it is a very, very obscure book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Zephaniah's ministry was about 610 to 640 years before the coming of Christ. And Zephaniah was a prophet. And prophets were people who delivered a message directly from God. That was their office. And that message usually had one of two themes. One theme was usually to rebuke the people and to tell them to return to God and to remind them of God's grace. Or the message was to make a prediction of future activity um, that God would do down the road. And you know, Zephaniah spoke at a time uh, to the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, when there, most of the people had turned away from the Lord, but there was still a faithful remnant uh, that still sought God. And you see in Zephaniah that it's either doom or delight. It's one of the two in terms of this message of the day of the Lord. And so the what? Now, The first part here, Zephaniah opens in a way that if you're a person who is uh, kind of hesitant about Christianity because of this talk of the wrath of God, like this is the text that that, that makes you, that, that, that offends you or makes you very hesitant. Because here's what he says at the beginning. He says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. I'm I'm worried that the building is going to catch on fire just just from reading that. He goes on to say, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry, 
against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And it's very hard to reconcile a text like that with what we consider to be the face of Christianity, which is the message of God's grace and God's love and mercy. But you know, one, one way to kind of understand this is uh, that, that God dislikes wrong as much as we do. But none of us, when we heard about the shootings in San Bernardino or about the massacre in Paris, none of us were emotionally apathetic. Um, all of us were either angry or outraged or, or lamenting inside. Um, some of you may have followed the story of Amanda Blackburn, the, uh, the wife of an Indianapolis pastor. Um, three men broke into her house and they beat her, they robbed her, and they murdered her. And so for seven days they had no idea who had done this. And when, if you followed this, when you found out that the captors, that, that the perpetrators had been arrested, you, you were not frustrated. You were not disappointed. You were, you were glad because we have this longing for justice. And so in a sense, you know, we can say that we are people of wrath, and that is, and sometimes when we have a desire for justice in the world, um, one of the best ways that we magnify that we're made in the image of God. Now, on the other side of Zephaniah, when we talk about the day of the Lord, we see that it is the fulfillment of your wildest dream. If you are a person who likes to watch romantic comedies or read or, or watch love stories or uh, you daydream about you know, great successes and glories, um, you see that the day of the Lord is all of those things wrapped up into one. And it, it, he says, uh, Zephaniah says in chapter 3, starts out by saying, uh, Shout aloud, O daughter of Zion, Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. So these are not words of celebration like the excitement you feel when your favorite team wins a championship or when you found out that you got a, a raise or a bonus or the kind of excitement that you feel if uh, you've, you're, you've discovered that you're having a boy. Uh, this is an ultimate sense of celebration. This is a celebration that comes out of the bowels of your soul. And, 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 and why is this celebration of the day of the Lord, why does it run so deep? Why is it such a glorious celebration? Because Zephaniah says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies, the king of Israel. The Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. So you see that all of your deepest longings are fulfilled and experienced at the day of the Lord. This desire that you would not be alone is fulfilled by the permanent companionship of God with you. Uh, this desire that you would be justified, that the things that, that you're self-conscious about or that you feel are inadequacies or failures, they're all wiped away. The, 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 the love that, that you desired, it's not that God tolerates you or that he likes you. It's that on the day of the Lord, you see that the Lord actually rejoices over you with loud singing. Loud singing, that is the terminology that is used. And so if you're a person who's grown up in the church and you've kind of heard some of the promises of the gospel, you've heard these things, that you're never alone, that God's with you, that God loves you, that God has cleared away your sin. But the day of the Lord, it's, it's all of these things being experienced right before your eyes. 
It's you seeing in reality that it's all true and your heart being utterly delighted at that response. And so the question is we have utter doom on one hand, one of the darkest readings you could ever find in the Bible. And then on the other side, in the same little book, the most beautiful, glorious, loving expression you'll ever find. And so the question is, for whom whom is it doom and for whom is it delight? And what we find as far as like for whom it is doom is it's very disturbing for us. It says that for those that the judgment comes, it says it's for those who don't seek the Lord. It says it's for those who do not inquire of him. Uh, it's for those who have idols in their life. It's for those who are rebellious, those who are complacent, those who have sinned against the Lord. Now, why is that so disturbing? Uh, because Zephaniah just described my day. He just described all of our days, right? Did any of us seek the Lord, you know, first thing we got out of the bed and consistently throughout the day? Probably not. Did we inquire of the Lord in, in all of our decisions or some of our decisions? Not so sure about that. Um, are we complacent in our faith? A lot, a lot, most of the time, I would say. Um, have we sinned against God? I mean, I don't want to count how many times I've sinned against God in the last like 10 minutes that I've been up here speaking to you, right? As a professional Christian. Um, and so it's, it, it begs the question that Malachi, the prophet Malachi asked at the very end of the Old Testament, who can endure the day of the Lord and who can stand when he appears? And so on the converse side, we would think, oh, the people for whom Zephaniah 3 is, applies to, the people that God delights in, those must be people who are morally pure and who are religiously pious, who really have their act together. But we find that that's not really the case at all. God says in, in Zephaniah 3, I will save the lame and gather the outcast. He says, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. So basically he is saying the people for whom my mercy falls are the weak and the incapable. And that those who can admit that and can seek the mercy of the Lord. Christianity, often an objection that people have to it is that it's exclusive because there's no doubt about it. There are winners and losers in, in, in the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, straight out of the mouth of Jesus. There are people who are accepted. There are people who are rejected. And so that is seen as, as you know, an exclusive aspect of the faith. But what you start to see is that, in fact, Christianity is really more inclusive than any world religion because the prerequisites and the qualifications are to be a person who is flawed, check, a person who knows it, check, and a person who can simply admit to God that he has these problems and ask for God's forgiveness and mercy. That's a very low threshold. That is easier than driving the speed limit home tonight. That's easier than sending out a text message. So in that way, Christianity is incredibly inclusive because it's for people who are weak and people who fail. Now, finally, when we talk about this conversion from the day of the Lord being something that is dreadful to something that is delightful, we have to ask the question, why? Why is it that God rejoices over and celebrates people who habitually rebel against him? And we see the key verses in this text. Zephaniah says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. And if you're a person, you're, you're looking at Zephaniah from this side of the cross, you see that Jesus on the cross absorbs all the judgments that God could hold against you. 
And the interesting thing to me, it says he is, that he says, uh, paralleling this or, or in conjunction with this, is that he has cleared away your enemies. Now, in Zephaniah 2, he, he does go over all of the national enemies of Judah that have unjustly oppressed Israel, and God does say that they will be punished for that. But when we think about God clearing away our enemies from the lens of our own personal experience, uh, our own worst enemy is really our own sin. And what Jesus does for us in coming down for us, living perfectly on our behalf, dying on the cross for us, and rising for us, is that Jesus takes on our worst enemy, our sin, and Christ wins. He vanquishes that enemy. And so, you know, to conclude, Zephaniah and his prophetic consciousness, and all the prophets, this is true, they did not know that there was a first coming of God in Christ and a second coming. For them, it was all kind of bottled up into one coming of the Lord. But we are people who live on this side of Christ. We know that God actually already has come for us. And we know that when a person is reconciled to God, God comes into them, into their heart, and dwells there permanently. And we also know that any time that we are weak, any time that we are afraid, any time that we call out for help, God comes to us with his grace in the Holy Spirit. And we also know that Christ will come again for a final time to perfect the world and to restore everything. So the amazing thing about the day of the Lord is, is not, it's not just that we delight in God when he comes. The amazing thing about the day of the Lord is that God delights in you when he comes for you. Let us pray. Jesus, glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.